Well, there goes most of the church. They all just went out the door there. They know to get when the getting's good, I guess. I was talking to Birdie this morning. She was teasing me how when I first started, I was a kid. Now I've got gray hair, well, silver hair, or it's going to be white hair before long. My my grandfather had, he had, I mean, it was white as snow, you know. And uh, I saw uh, Alice Petrie, uh, she come walking in this morning, and, and uh, you know, I was thinking about my own hair, and, and I saw Alice, and they say, gray, gray hair is a crown of glory, it's gained in a righteous life. Well, I don't know about me, you know, my hair, I think, is from dealing with kids all day long, uh, but Alice, I think yours is from a, a righteous life, and we're so happy to see you here this morning, and... So glad you're here. And, uh, you know, the Bible says he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. And I think that would apply to you this morning. I found out you, uh, you drove here this morning, I believe. So, I don't know. I'm asking any of the deacons, maybe. You might want to step up, maybe, maybe drive her car home. I'm, I'm sure the angels were, they were working extra hard to keep get you here. I know you're a, a strong lady, but we want to serve you too, so if you need a ride to church or whatever, just let us know. We'll, we'll make sure that, that you're here. So, um, Well, thanks for, you know, those, uh, you know, the powers that be. Thanks for allowing me to be your, uh, your lay pastor. This is not something I, you know, ever really envisioned myself doing. I think when I was younger, I thought about being a pastor and how that would be, yeah, that'd be interesting. And, you know, and then Neil and I got married and started a family and started our careers and life just sort of happens. And, you know, it was nothing that, you know, I became a school teacher. She became a financial analyst and, you know, full-time ministry, you know, with the church, it just wasn't something that was in the cards. And, uh, but, uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm kind of scared to death, you know, but I, I'm ready for the challenge. Getting up and, and speaking in front of people, that doesn't bother me, uh, you know, but I'm here to serve you. Um, I'm here as uh, somebody to kind of stand in the gap until our full-time pastor is here. I want you to know up front, I have absolutely no intentions or I have no uh, ambitions of being the pastor or anything like that. Um, and throughout the history of this church, at certain key moments, I've seen people rise up and sort of step into the gap and take control of things you know, as, as a need arose. Russ, is be, I think you started as our pastor way back at the beginning. Um, we were without a pastor. He stepped up, became our pastor again. I think that was just before Seth came. Uh, we had a gentleman by the name of Bob Petrie at times. He would step in and, and help out in a, a sort of a chaplain kind of role and do different things. My role is just to help. I mean, I, I saw a need, and I really felt God leading me to, it's time, you need to step up. And uh, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, take over anything or do anything like that, but I'm here to serve God which means I'm here to serve you. So if you have a need, please, uh, we'll make sure my contact stuff's in the next bulletin. Uh, we'll put it on the webpage and stuff. And so, uh, 
So with that said, um, you know, when I was a kid, I could eat like a billy goat. I mean, I'd eat about anything. If any of you have had billy goats, you know what I mean, they'll eat anything. And I could get away with it when I was younger, you know, pizza, 8 o'clock, no problem, pizza. When after one of our favorite traditions, after, uh, after I played football, we'd come home, my mom and dad and grandparents were all there. They always had Michael's Pizza from Urbana, pizza there, so we'd come home and eat pizza. So here I am at 11, 30, 12 o'clock, we're just chowing down on pizza. No problem. You know, I go through the night, no big deal, you know, it was great. As I get older, I'm finding I can't eat like that anymore. Uh, pizza, uh, too much Pepsi, too many other things. I got to watch it because otherwise I'll wake up about 2.30 in the morning. And it's like, oh, you, you know, heartburn you know, sets in and you feel kind of sick. And like, I can't do that. I admire that you know, the kids are always like, let's get pizza. I'm like, oh, I love pizza, but. Secretly, I can't eat pizza anymore at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. Oh, well. Um, you know, you think about, you know, the, uh, the Bible and, and what's happening and darn this thing. Here we go again. Oh, there we go. So when I put this together, I told, uh, I told Brian, he goes, what's the name of your message this week? I said, heartburn. You know, I, I texted him. I'm sure he probably thought, heartburn? What What has heartburn got to do? And when I think of heartburn, this is what I think of. But obviously today, we want to talk about something a little bit different than, than just heartburn. Um, my grandmother, she used to love to eat Carolina Creep or Reapers, if you know what those are. I think I missed it. They're a, they're a type of pepper that are just unbelievably hot. I've given you the scale here. Uh, your standard banana peppers down here on the bottom. Uh, Carolina Reapers are way up here. As far as the heat units go, we're talking, uh, that is hot. Okay, rookies, uh, don't, don't try these, these kinds of peppers. And they're, they're just these tiny little things. And I remember my grandmother used to pop those off and pop them in her mouth, and we'd be horrified. How can you stand that? That's heartburn. That's mouth burn. What I want to talk about today is a little bit different. Um, when I was a, a football coach, one of the things, one of the benefits of that is we get to go and go to conferences, and we get to meet Big names, big college coaches. I've met and I've met Urban Meyer several times. I've met uh, Bob Stoops, big game Bob from Oklahoma. I've met him. I've sat and had dinner with Lou Holtz. Uh, I've sat and you know a lot of modern coaches. It's fun to see them at these clinics because they can let their guard down and they just become normal people. Uh, Earl Bruce, the old coach at Ohio State. I had dinner with him one night. He and his grandson, who's a currently a coach at Ohio State, and he would sit there, and all he did all night long was just tell stories. You know, when I, back in, you know, with Woody, he used to do this, and, and then when I became, you know, and I would just sit there and just be mesmerized, like, wow, you know, this is awesome. I'm sitting here in the presence of these guys. Lou Holtz is telling me stories about, you know, his championship season, and 
telling me about the time he took South Carolina, and they went over the whole season, and the things he learned from that. And I remember I was just enthralled, just absolutely blown away by what they were saying. My heart was just burning with, with passion, with, with interest, with just excitement about what I was hearing. These are some of my heroes, coaching heroes, and here I am, I get to eat dinner with them. Just wonderful stuff. Jesus had the same effect on people at times. He, uh, even as a young boy, uh, 12-year-old kid, normally uh, most adults don't listen too much to what 12-year-olds have to say, but uh, says so now his parents, and a holy wall of text, Batman, that's a lot up there. I apologize, I'll try to break this down a little bit next time. But anyways, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Anybody seen Jesus? And, you know, we lost him. We lost our kid. You know, today the cops would show up and arrest you. You know, you're, you can't do that. You lost your kids. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it you were looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? They didn't understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus, even at a young age, had this effect on people. He would preach in the temple. He would comment on the scriptures. He would talk about things that were happening, and people were just amazed Wow, this is coming out of the mouth of a kid? I can't believe this. Man, that is something else. You know, last week we talked about Easter and the resurrection. And, you know, growing up a lot of times, uh, that was the end of the story. But there's actually more to it. I mean, today is kind of the, the rest of the story. Uh, so Jesus is alive. He's, he's appeared to Mary Magdalene. He's... She's run off and told the disciples. Some of them ran back to the tomb. But even though Easter's over, Jesus has resurrected. He's not yet ready to ascend to the Father. There are still things that need to be done. He still has a mission. There's still a purpose to be here. You think about when you go on a trip. I know Mark Hackathon. Mark, if you're listening, you know, I know you... You're off on your trip, and sometimes being on a trip and getting prepared can leave you feeling like Kevin. That's usually us, you know, going on a trip. Ah, oh boy. Neola went on a trip last week, a couple weeks ago. It was just a 
spur of the moment trip, I get a phone call halfway through the day. Oh, by the way, I'm going to Florida. And I'm like, you're what? <laughs> yeah, we're going to Florida. We don't even have anything to wear. That's okay. She ran to Target, and away they went, and, and they were gone. What a way to travel. This is usually me. I'm like, I don't know what to pack. I don't know what to take. Then you get there, and you realize, oh, you've left all your stuff, and uh, it's a mess. There's so much to do and so little time to do it. Jesus knew that his time was limited. I have a lot to do in these days that are left here before I ascend to the Father, before I complete, totally complete, this chapter of of the church, of what it is I'm supposed to do. So Jesus is going around. He wants to see uh, certain people do certain things. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place, you know, Man, what a, what a weekend we had. You know, I can't believe all the stuff that happened in Jerusalem. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. You go back last week, same thing happened to Mary Magdalene in the garden. She didn't recognize him. He was preventing people from, from, you know, from recognizing him right up, off the bat. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're, as you're walking? And these people are like, who's this guy? Where have you been? The whole city's in an uproar. I can't believe you're as clueless as you, you, you think you seem to be, but here, let me fill you in on what's going. So they, they told Jesus, you know, Jesus is probably thinking, uh, yeah, I, I kind of knew that happened. Uh, I was there. Obviously, I went through that. So they're telling him. And Tradition says Emmaus was about a town, it was about seven miles to the northwest of Jerusalem. They don't really know for sure the exact location of Emmaus, but you know, the scripture said it was you know, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Probably about a two, three hour walk. And so all along this walk, Jesus has, has kind of showed up with these two, and they're walking, and they're just talking as they go, and talking about the events that had happened at, uh, in Jerusalem, and the crucifixion, and oh my goodness, they, had this, they let out a guy named Barabbas, I can't believe, well, what are we thinking? Scripture also kind of hints that these travelers were sad, they were upset. They were disheartened. They're leaving Jerusalem confused and frustrated. They had heard of a, probably had heard of the supposed resurrection by this time earlier in the day. They may have heard of that. But either they didn't believe it yet or were sad that they had missed it. Either way, they're, they're bummed out and they're, they're leaving. We've got to get out of town. It's too hot right now. And it's too sad. I can't bear the thought of you know, the one we had put all our hopes and dreams in, he's crucified on a cross and they did away with his body and that's just too much. We have to leave. So off they go. Christ is soon to enter into exaltation. It's, it's not going to be long, just a few weeks before he will ascend to the Father. 
But he still feels the need, I think, to tend to the flock. There are a lot of little things that have to get done before he leaves. He's concerned about these travelers. He wants to demonstrate compassion to these people. Sometimes all it takes is a, just a friendly chat to help people. Just opening up your mouth and really not even saying anything. One of the things that, you know, I, uh, you know, at school, because, you know, I like to say, you know, what, you go to football things or whatever, people go, what's your business? What you into? And I go, well, kids are my business. That's, that's kind of what I do. You know, I work with kids. And a lot of times, kids just want to be heard. They don't expect you to have the answers. They don't expect you to give them you know, life-altering, you know, maxims and proverbs to change their life. They just want somebody to listen. That's what Jesus is doing. He's walking with these guys. He's just listening. Go ahead, guys, spill it. Tell me how you're feeling. Let it out. And I don't think Jesus at that point is, oh, wait, wait, wait. Now, now you need to understand, that would come later. But right now, he's just coming alongside them. People have asked me, why the camouflage? Why, the, why, didn't, they, uh, why didn't he just walk up? Look, it's Jesus. You know, he's, he's somebody they can't see. I think by doing that, hiding his true identity, okay, it allows them to talk more freely. It gives them the chance to just talk. If they knew it was Jesus, they probably would have, you know, I don't know if I want to bring that up or not and, and just, just go with it. But they begin to tell the tale of the crucifixion, not quite believing this guy, he's as clueless as he seems. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Let me fill you in, guys, on the story. Let me put it all together, lay it all out here. This is what you've been looking for. This is how God's plan, God's purpose plays out throughout history. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them things concerning himself and all the scriptures. All of these things were pointing to the Christ. They're like, yeah, that's, that's right. That is right. He, he, he was killed in Jerusalem. That's what the scriptures meant. And they approached the village where they were, were going, and he acted as though he was going to go further. Well, guys, it's been nice talking to you. I'm going to keep heading down the road. But they urged him, no, 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 stay with us. Stay here. It's getting towards the evening. Look, the day's about over. And he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Can you imagine that moment? You're sitting there around the table. This has been one heck of a day. I think I'm finally getting a handle on these scriptures. What the? And he's like, bing, gone. And they're like, holy cow, you know, the whole time. 
They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us? There's something about the word of God when you hear the word and you hear it preached and you hear people teach on it. That fires up the heart. Now these two men were were heading out of Jerusalem talking about what they had seen. And their hearts are now on fire. They're not sad anymore. They're fired up. Coach Track this year up at Graham and our, our distance coach, one of his big things, his little slogan to, to all the kids is fire up. One, two, three, fire up. Because distance runners are different people anyways. Anybody that wants to run two miles, 3,200 meters, is, I think you're a little crazy anyways. And you, don't even, you don't even have a ball. You don't even chase a ball around. You know. Anyways, you got to get fired up. Think about your own time. Can you recall a time that uh, maybe you listened to the Word of God and your hearts burned with excitement? When your hearts burned with fire for the Lord... I mean, I would sit there and listen to Lou Holtz, and I mean, like talking to him, and my heart's just like, Lou Holtz, I can't believe it. But I can think of other times when my heart was on fire because the word was spoken to me. There have been times in this church when people like Russ or even Larry at Sunday school sometimes and and, and others who have gone on, Don Black would, would explain things to me and Stan, one time I went to his house. I don't know if Stan's here today, but he's back there. I showed up at his house, and I had this question about the Bible. And uh, so I'm, I'm talking to Stan, and he's trying to get me to, this is, this is it. And he had the Bible out, and he was showing me in the Bible. Being a stubborn kid, I'm kind of like, well, I don't know about that. But the whole time, my heart is just like, this is it. I, I just, you know... It's amazing. My heart was on fire. I love this scripture out of Jeremiah. It's one that I don't hear a whole lot, but is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? The word of God is active. It's it's alive. It does something to us. It allows us to, to speak to God. It allows God to speak to us. And it is a fire that motivates. A fire cleanses. I have a, a pastor friend who uh, he wrote a book called Truth Therapy. And he's, uh, was into, uh, he's a, a professor at United Theological Seminary, and he wrote this book about how in his ministry with addicts and others who have addictions, using the Scripture, using the Word of God, almost prescribing it like a prescription to help transform and renew their mind so that they can become more like Christ. Using the Word of God like a fire to cleanse, to cleanse their hearts, to cleanse their thinking. Using the Word of God like a hammer to shatter their old habits, to shatter their old ways of thinking. 
Let the word of God be a cleansing fire. Let it be a hammer to shatter the sadness, the troubles of this life. Now Jesus could have ascended to heaven right then and it would have been an amazing story, but he's not done. He's got more to do. There were other appearances for Christ. Jesus hung around for 40 days after his resurrection. He made multiple recorded appearances and many that aren't written down. But the ones that are recorded, he met privately with Simon Peter. The Bible doesn't say exactly what they talked about. This was very early after the, the resurrection. My guess, it was probably to encourage him in some way. He then met with the disciples, with Thomas absent. You've heard the, the doubting Thomas, you know, the, the story. Thomas wasn't there, but he met with them. Then he came back later with all the disciples together, with Thomas there. Look at my, my hands, my, my, you know, the, the whole thing. He later met with the seven disciples at the Sea of Galilee. He even cooked breakfast for them. They sat down and had fish and chips. They knew who it was. They're coming in on the boat and they see the fire going and there he is. And they're like, we know who it is. He's playing this cloud the mind trick again, but you know what? We know who it is. He later met all 11 disciples at a mountain in Galilee. He then met, he appeared to over 500 people. One of the criticisms of, of the truth of the resurrection is, well, it was just a few people that they made up this story. He appeared to over 500 people. That's a lot of people. Okay. This is no flash mob that just suddenly sprung up out of nowhere and hey, you know. No, this was a big deal. He then met with James, his half brother, and then finally to the to the ascension, where they you know watched, looked, and he, he went away. And I think about this, you know, why all the appearances? Why did he go to all the trouble to to appear and to see all of these different folks? You know, why didn't he do like today? Man, we could have had a conference and charged 250 bucks a ticket. Man, we'd have made all kinds of money for the early church. Bring them in. No, he had some specific things that he had to get done. One of the big ones was to shore up the faith of the apostles. They had just been through quite a weekend. This requires private, intimate meetings. You don't restore somebody or have an intimate conversation on the fly. Hey, hey good job there, Larry. You got it, buddy. That doesn't restore anybody. He had to go meet with Thomas. He had to show Thomas, look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at the, stick your finger in the hole. He spoke with James, his half-brother, probably to talk about future ministry, but also practical things. Here's what I want you to do with mom. We have to take care of her. The church is going to do its part, but we're family. Jesus was the Son of God, but he was still a man. And he loved his mother, and he had to take, make sure she was taken care of. All of these appearances are proof of the resurrection. You can all believe me 
Because here I am. I'm here. I love the story of Simon Peter. And just to illustrate some of this, if we go back before the crucifixion, before the events of Easter. Now when Jesus, whoops, come on, there we go. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? We've been traveling around a lot, and uh, you've seen some stuff. Who do the people say I am? Well, they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say, you're Elijah, come again. Others, oh, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets, you're one of these guys. Oh. And then he asked the question that he still asks us today. Who do you say that I am? I've heard all these things too, but I want to know. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, which means the rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, on and on and on. Thank you, Peter. What you said is true. What a magnificent affirmation for Peter. Peter's probably sitting there like sometimes I'll ask kids questions in class and they'll get it right and they'll sit there like, uh, and everybody's like, whoa, what? you got that right. I don't know about that. I could see Peter kind of like, yeah, you know, I got that. But it also goes on, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. This is in Matthew chapter 16, if you're taking notes or curious. I've got to go to Jerusalem, I've got to be killed, and on the third day, I will rise again. Peter, who had just been affirmed by Christ, you know, he's the rock. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Look, Jesus, you know, God forbid it, Lord. This is never going to happen to you. This can't happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man. What a harsh rebuke. I mean, here... Peter had just been told, you're the rock. You're the... Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And from here on out, it's downhill for Peter. The whole weekend's just going to be ruined for him. Jesus said to his disciples, look, you know, if anyone wishes to come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is the mission, guys. That's why I'm here. That's why I've come. 
so that I could go to the cross for you and to crush Satan's head. Get behind me, Satan. What a harsh rebuke. Peter, you can't possibly mean these words. Don't be in the way of what God wants. You don't know it, Peter, but Satan is speaking through you to prevent me from doing what I've come here to do. Well, the events go on a little bit more, and they enter into the town, and things begin to get a little crazy. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and you know Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me three times. Here's Peter, you know, never am I going to deny you. That, that's not going to happen. You're, my, you're the Lord. You're the Messiah. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, Hey, you were with Jesus, that, that guy from Galilee. He denied it. Now, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. When he'd gone to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said, Hey, this man was with Jesus. This guy was with Jesus over here, and he, he denied it with an oath. I swear, I don't know the man. A little later, the bystanders came by. The, the, I think it's in John it talks about, I think it was actually a relative of the guy. He had, if you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cut the guy's ear off with a sword. Jesus, of course, restored the man's ear. But this guy comes up, you're that guy that cut my cousin's ear off. I know you. You were with him. Peter began to swear and to curse. I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows. You'll deny me three times. What did Peter do? He ran out and said, oh, Lord, forgive me. Scripture says he went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He understood what he had done, what had happened. You've got to think in his mind, you know, I, Jesus rebuked me earlier and, and all the disciples, they were mad at me and now here I've... I've gone back on what I said, and I've just messed everything up. And he ran off and cried and cried and cried. And we've all disowned Jesus at times. We've all denied him with our actions, with our words. And at times, some of us have gone out and wept bitterly because of it. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus is not here to make, give you a guilt trip so every time you mess up, you run off and have, feel like you've got to cry. Peter will be restored. Jesus has not yet ascended to heaven. I've still got work to do. And one of the most important things I have to do, I've got to go to Peter. I love Peter. And he's had it rough. We've all disowned Jesus at times. I'm going to have to look up here. I don't have a thing. So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, tend my lambs. Yes, Jesus is, <laughs> he wants me to tend the lambs. He loves me. He's got something for me to do. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I just said it. And he said, shepherd my sheep. I'll do that, Lord. I'll do that. Jesus loves me. He has confidence in me. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, Tend my sheep. This isn't Jesus standing here saying, Okay, before I go, now, Peter, you screw up. You've you got to do this, this, and this. Now, don't mess that up like you did everything else. No, it's Peter. I know. I understand. I know. And I love you, and you are the rock on which I will build this church. And I want you to tend the flock, feed the sheep, do, take care of them like a shepherd. Do what I have done for you these last years. Jesus restores each of us in our own time, in our own way, not only because for our benefit, but to fulfill the will of God. Jesus came to restore, to forgive, to draw the lost to himself. His very presence teaches about grace. And not a, not a cheap grace. Grace has a price. The Bible says, you know, grace is a free gift from God. Great. Nothing's free. I tell the kids that when they, they work out. When I used to coach football, I'd tell them, look, guys, if you want to get better, you're going to have to work for it. Nobody's going to give you anything out there. Those guys want to beat you just as bad as you guys want to get out there and go. But you've got you to gotta work for it. There is a cost. You've got to pay the rent. You don't pay the price up front and pay the rent. Don't expect uh, any success out there. Grace has a price. When Jesus went... To the disciples, I believe. And he appeared before Thomas. And he said, look, Thomas, look at my hand. Why did, why did Jesus, when he arose from the dead, why did he still have the nail marks? Why the, why the hole in the side? I mean, he can make himself appear to be anybody he wants. He can do anything like that. I mean, why show up with the holes, the nails? It is true, Thomas needed the proof. And Jesus said, you know, blessed are you guys who saw and, or who believed and didn't see. But I also think he reminded all of them. He reminded Thomas. When Thomas took his finger and put it into his side, that's a reminder that this grace did not come without a price. It cost me my life, a life that I willingly laid down for you to be obedient to God. Grace isn't cheap. When, the scripture says when Jesus died, it's kind of interesting, the old uh, um, 
temple, which was sort of the center of the Jewish community at the time, the moment he died, the veil was ripped in the holy temple. During the lifetime of Jesus, the holy temple in Jerusalem was the center of Jewish religious life. The temple was the place where animal sacrifices were carried out, where worship was done. Hebrews tells us that in the temple, a veil separated the holy of holies, which was supposedly the, early, the earthly dwelling place of God, and the rest of the temple where the man sat. If you went back behind that veil, you risked dying. Okay, They did not go back there. That signified, that veil was a, a graphic representation that men are separated from God by sin. Just like a, be like going to a play and trying to watch the play, but they left the curtain closed the whole time. You'd be sitting out there, what? I, something's going on back there, but I don't know what. The moment that Jesus died, the Bible says the veil was ripped in half from top to bottom. Not from the bottom up, like a man would do, but from the top to the bottom, like God reached down himself and ripped the veil. There is no wall between us anymore. We don't need a veil. Jesus died for us. Now's a great time to prepare. God has provided a way. He's removed all the obstacles between himself and man. There's, no, there's nothing in the way between you and God. That stuff has been taken away. That's a great restoration. Jesus came to restore all of us, not just Peter, not just Thomas, not just James. The fact that Jesus could redeem and show compassion on a couple of guys headed to Emmaus is a, it's a testament to the desire of God to reconcile the world to himself. Well, if the, our excellent worship team would, would come forward here as we get ready to wrap things up here. You know, our purpose here at this church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I love that. It's simple. It's something that it cuts right to what we're all about here. We're here to help lead you into a growing relationship with Christ, and we want to help you do that. As we go forward as a church... You know, looking for our pastor. Okay? Let's help each other to grow in our relationships with Christ. That's what we're here for. And it's not me bugging you to do it. It's, it's all of us together as a family working on our own relationship, trying to help each other grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, so, tell you what, gang, let's sing. I'm looking forward to the worship team here, so. I love these closing songs. <laughs>